I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, Megan. And it's always a pleasure to have you pass the baton to me rather than Ryan. Folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. If you have questions, concerns about your outdoors, your plant material, or anything else, wow, it was so warm yesterday, and now it's not really super cold. It's slightly below freezing, but the plant material, this is why we or our plant material has such a tough time. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We get together on Saturday mornings, and we discuss your yard, landscape, your garden, how's your houseplants doing, potting mixes, soil improvement, pruning bugs, diseases, planting, removals, and everything else. But please remember my words are strictly to open opportunities. After that, it's going to take mental and physical effort on your part for this great marathon we call gardening. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg. He's again here producing. I thought maybe he'd be burnt out by all this plant material stuff, but he continues to do a great job. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books, and two are currently available at various locations. Also, I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine, which is a magazine that comes out six times a year. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's an email address and a phone number where I can be reached. Today, I'm going for a walk and talk after the show to Edwardsville. So today's Good Gardening Stroll, though, is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. And the Good Gardening Stroll steps off right now. Ah, the community garden. I thought, hmm. I haven't been to this one for a little while. It's at, it's located in Virginia, Alabama, and Liberty. As I stepped out of my car, I almost fell. No, it wasn't ice. It was sweet gumballs. I couldn't believe how many had fallen and were along the street there. And uh, this is kind of a cool community garden. It's got several different aspects to it. And uh, one part of it is they have a block wall, which is more or less encloses the area which has individual plots for people to have and grow their own vegetables or whatever they choose. But this one has raised beds. I mean raised beds. It is a raised bed, yes, but it has raspberries in it. A little bit further down, there is a gated arbor. So in other words, you can't really get into the area that has um, the individual plots because they probably don't want people going in and helping themselves to tomatoes or whatever happens to be growing in that individual plot at that time. As I was listening and just kind of, you know, wandering around a little bit, all of a sudden, boy, those crows, they're out early. I mean, it was, there was no sunlight, there was no light at all, but you could, I couldn't see the crows because it was so dark, but I could certainly hear them. And then a little bit further down, picnic tables. They had the hose reels sitting on top of the picnic tables. And uh, then next is a, actually a cool fenced area for dogs. And then following that, there's bins 
which you can, people locally, I guess, or anybody probably, can drop uh, their yard waste. And as you went around the other side, which is on the Virginia side of this community garden, uh, it looks like they're planting a fruit orchard because all the trees were equally spaced. I couldn't exactly tell because it's so dark, you know, the buds and everything else, but I'm sure the way they were planted this is probably going to be, it could be, well, maybe it could be flowering trees, but my guess is it might be fruit trees here. The lawn in between all the fruit trees was uh, nicely mowed. And uh, as you go past or right behind or I guess right in front of along uh, Virginia, there is a neat house that borders this uh, community garden, and they have a great white picket fence. Also, Virginia is a bike route, too. So if you're interested in riding your bike, you haven't been up and down Virginia, it's well worth the time. I thought, hmm, let's see. I got to get to KMOX, and it's located on Olive, 1220 Olive Street. I thought, how? Oh, I don't want to go the normal ways. So I decided to go down Broadway. So I took... I think it's Merrimack down to Broadway and then headed north. And I knew what I was going to run into because I had lived, Tracy and I, in Soulard for 17 years. So it was going to be Mardi Gras stuff. I was curious this early. It was probably, well, let's say between 6.30 and 7. I don't know exactly what time it was. If any of the streets would be blocked off yet. But no, none of the streets were blocked. So you could go completely through on Broadway. But, boy, they had all the fences set up for the parade that I think uh, Megan said it's going to start at 11 o'clock this morning. So, like I it is, I mean, they're ready. All the tents are set up. The fences are set up. But the interesting thing is they make the fencing continuous, which, you know, they go across streets and everything else. So there were some people that were trying to get across Broadway and they were having to climb over the fence, like if they had to go get across to catch a bus or something like that. <laughs> it was pretty darn wild. So there is just all kinds of different things going on. All the tents set up, all kinds of different sizes and shapes all the way up and down Broadway. And it was really just kind of neat. So there's going to be lots of people there. It's going to be a little bit of coolness. But uh, when you're jumping for beads... And everything else, all the just the general excitement, there'll be plenty of warmth generated down on Broadway in Soulard. So Mardi Gras, party on. Great time. And uh, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions or concerns about your plant material, inside plants or outside plants, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I was speaking during the introduction, with yesterday being so warm, there was people out with just T-shirts on. Of course, you know, I always wear shorts year-round, never doesn't matter what the temperature is or anything else. But uh, the plant material, uh, the buds are starting to really be pushed when we have some of those. Even just a one warm day, it can sort of like push a bud a little bit more. And we don't know how cold it's going to get. So hopefully we're still going to have some good flowering on some of the plant material. I'm very concerned about the uh, broadleaf evergreens like the azaleas and rhododendrons because of that cold spell we had you know, in January where it was just really, really tough on it. And uh, most of broadleaf evergreens are showing stress signs on the foliage. And usually when the foliage starts showing stress signs, so in other words, turning tan or brown, 
that means the flower buds are not doing so well either. And here again, I'm going to review some of the things that uh, on my website, I always have these introductions for each month. And uh, just to kind of review what some of the things in the past have, because we always think, well, this is the worst year ever, or this is whatever year this was. And uh, in 2004, January had changed from the 70s early in the month to wind chills of 25 below. And they had a really huge impact, that wind chill, on all the spring blooming trees and shrubs. They were really exposed to a really damaged level. And they, it was like I was talking about. When the weather gets warm, the buds just start opening up a little bit. And when they're not tight, that's when there can be some real damage to it. And this time of year, what you can expect to start seeing real soon is the Cornelian cherry. That's the yellow flowering dogwood family member. And the witch hazel. Those are two things as far as trees and shrubs that could be blooming just in another few days or another few weeks or, you know, however long it might be. It's just all weather dependent. And then also in uh, 2010, February began with a little classic sleet, ice, and snow with deeply cold temperatures. And in its place, uh, there had been ample rainfall that kept the ground, you know, from getting too dehydrated. So that's really important, too. We get, you know, this circumstance that we have or we're having right now where the ground is so cold and it's dry, then you got a lot of air pockets in there. That's when the cold air sinks in there, and that's when the real damage is done to the plant root hairs. Let's go right now to Fluorescent, and Patrick is our first caller today. Patrick, how are you today? I'm doing great. Great. Good morning. Hi. Hey, I was I was wondering about uh, planting some avocado seeds. Somebody told me it takes five to ten years to start getting a yield from those. Um, and I'd, I'd have to keep it inside, I assume, except summertime, bring it outside. But right. How how big do they get? And I guess I just have to keep it kind of small. Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to get fruit production here to be honest with you, even taking it in and out and everything else. I mean, they're kind of fun to watch. Uh, I've grown them, and, uh, you know, just from the pit, and you've, I, you sprout it just in water with two toothpicks, and you'll start to see, you know, some of the root system come out. And, and it's still, to acclimate it, I think I've had one that got about three feet high, and it, they're just painfully slow. They just don't, you're just not ever going to get fruit production from the avocado plant here, regardless of the circumstance. I can't even remember when I worked at the Botanical Garden, they had some avocados, I think, in the Mediterranean house. And I'm not sure that we ever, or at that time, got production on the avocado trees, even in more or less a greenhouse circumstance like that. Okay. But they're still fun to grow. Fun to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody somebody told me at a football party the other day that, uh, oh, yeah, you'll get get fruit, but... But I just didn't know for sure. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, you know, I'm not saying don't try it, and you may just because you know normally it's not going to happen. There's always going to be those things that are just totally out of the ordinary. Okay. Well, very good. Thank you so much. Yep. Good luck with that. And uh, yeah, I mean, growing something like even you know something that's already been grown to let's say a full production size, like a a small lemon tree or citrus tree of some sort. They can produce some fruits, 
but the fruits are generally not going to be the quality of what is going to be edible. That's not to say it doesn't happen sometimes, but usually that is not going to be the case. So uh, other questions by anybody? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Take a look around in your yard, too. This is a perfect time to get out there, especially if you have zoysia grass, and you see any kind of green blades in your zoysia grass, what does that mean? Well, that probably means that you have annual bluegrass, which sprouted last August and September. And you can certainly, you know, to control it in your zoysia, it's going to be a little difficult because unless you just dab the herbicide that's your grass killer or whatever you plan on using, Roundup or anything like that, onto the individual clumps of the grass, of the green grass blades in your zoysia, it's a little tough to control anything in that situation. Other cool season annual weeds, annual meaning they germinate, the seeds germinate, let's say in August or so, and then they grow all the way through the wintertime. It doesn't matter how cold it gets or anything else, and they'll continue to doing, to doing some flowering, And flowering is always followed by seeds. Those seeds will then just fall after they're produced and just lay there until the following August. So as the weather starts warming up, these cool season annual weeds, guess what? They just, uh, you know, lay there. And that's tough to control. So it's henbit, dead nettle, chickweed, the annual bluegrass. There's that rabbit foot clover. There's shepherd's purse, among others. But those are the main ones that you're going to probably find in your landscape. And not just in the zoysia landscape either, or zoysia lawn. I mean, it's going to be in various other places, too. I see it in planting beds and everything else. So, you know, I certainly recommend. And But just realize, if you put a pre-emergent down in August, depending upon what you know, time of August-related temperatures, that means you're not able to put on a cool season lawn like fescue seed or bluegrass seed at all because the pre-emergence will kill any kind of seed as it germinates, not just specifically one type or another. So it doesn't recognize, well, this is a broadleaf weed like chickweed, and so I'm going to kill that one, but this is you know some fescue seed, and since it's a narrow blade, I'm not going to kill that one. So they don't make that distinction. It's They kill anything that germinates at that point. So now let's go to Mike, and Mike is in uh, St. Louis. Hi, Mike. Hi, good morning. Hi. Uh, I, have a, I have a house in Melville, and uh, I recently had my backyard, um, a pretty good-sized backyard, but the last, like, 15 feet of it was all overgrown with brush and just weeds and all kinds of stuff, and I had all that cleared out, and I have a tree in the middle of my yard, so it's got some shade in my backyard, but now I have nothing on that, that area. It's all dirt. What's the best kind of grass I could plant there that's going to grow easily but without a lot of sun? <laughs> Truly, there isn't, <laughs> to be honest okay. with you. So it's not – It's the shade factor is going to be certainly important. But also what's going to be important, depending upon what type of tree and how big it is, the tree roots are going to be going after you know the grass that you plant in that space too. So it's just – I don't know how close it is to anything else. But uh, probably what I, you know, my tendency would be to try to, you know, try a couple different, let's say, go buy some sod. Go buy like three or four or five pieces of sod of zoysia, 
of bluegrass and a fescue. Put them in the space, get the ground you know, prepared and everything else, and then see which one of the pieces of sod or you know, types of sod does the best in this location. And then rather than just trying to get it all done at once, that way then you know what you can actually do. And the areas which are not going to be underneath the sod, just get some you know, a small, or let's say, some uh, one or two inches of mulch and put it on that spot to you know, keep the erosion down to a minimum in that situation. So tr experiment with the different types of sod available. The fescues and bluegrasses are going to be coming available really soon. The zoysas okay. probably won't be around until late April, but, you know, just make your make this part of your yard kind of a test area, a laboratory, and just go from there. Okay, one more question I have. Uh, along the back of my house and along that fence also, there's a lot of these weed trees growing that grow, I mean, just enormous within months. How do I get rid of those? Uh, basically, if they, if they are truly trees, you know, cut them off. You're going to have to get rid of the debris. Cut them off at a 45-degree angle at about uh, three feet above the ground. And then okay. as, soon as, you, you know, as soon as you cut them, have some Roundup there. Roundup for killing woody plants. And then paint the Roundup right onto that open wound where you made the cut. Oh, okay. And that's, it's going to take a while for them to kill it off. But other than just getting, you know, yanking them out you know, and that, all that other kind of stuff, you're, this is about the only way you're going to get them under control. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll cut them in the spring, and then by July, they've already grown 10 feet. Right, so cut them at a 45-degree angle, three feet off the ground, and then paint Roundup as soon as you make that cut, because that'll suck the Roundup into it. Roundup systemic, so it'll kill the root system as well. Great. Thank you very much. I love your show, and I appreciate your help. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show, as you know. Uh, if anybody has any other questions, 314 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're headed west out to Chesterfield, and we're going into Vicki's yard. Hi, Vicki. Hi. I, um, I love the smell of eucalyptus, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, I saw some at, uh, at, a, at a market in water. And so anyway, so I bought them. And I, I brought them home and everything, and I put the, the um, uh, hormone on it and all this and did everything and was trying to, you know, root it. Right. And, um, and it never did root, never did root in. I can usually root things. And so anyway, so I got my book out, and it says, no, you have to, have, you have to get the root from the plant from the plant itself. Is that correct? Yeah, for the most part, you know, eucalyptus, now when you bought these, let's say, sprigs from a florist or wherever you bought them, how long were they? Oh, they were long. Yeah, you don't want long. You want like a foot or less, and then also you want to make a, like a 45-degree angle cut to, you know, at the very end, and that's right. what you're going to dip into the rooting hormone. So you could play around with it again, and then put that into a potting mix for starting plants, not into right. water. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm acquainted with all okay, that. Okay, so anyway, other than that, eucalyptus is not an easy one to start. And finding a eucalyptus root, you might find some online, or you might find a small tree that could be sent, you know, shipped to you. But yeah. for the most part, uh, in, you know, eucalyptus don't like houses all that much, and they certainly cannot grow outside here in the wintertime. 
Oh, I understand that. But um, I uh, I love to experiment. So uh, that is, I never thought about going online for it. I have to ask my daughter to do that for me. Right. I mean, it's, there may be somebody that will ship you some. They may ship you some that, you know, to save expenses and everything else, some bare root eucalyptus, which you would then pot up. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for the advice. Sure. Good luck with that. Yeah, eucalyptus trees, that's why you never see them at nurseries, you know, florists or, you know, garden centers or anything else for sale because they just don't like this area all that much. Let's go now to Lydia, and she lives in Kirkwood. Yes, sir. Good morning. Hi. And hi. Um, for the first time this year, we've put a bird feeder on the west side of our house and have uh, always had a real nice patch of moss underneath it. The droppings from all those little seed leftovers are into that uh, moss, and it does not look gorgeous. What am I going to do about it, or do I do anything? There's nothing you can do other than moving your bird feeder. Ah. That's the only thing you're going to be able to do. So it's not only that, yeah, the seed hulls are going to drop down there. That's going to cause an impact on the moss as well, but also the birds on the ground just looking for, you know, any seeds that happen to fall. The compaction level of the birds as they're hopping around is going to have a really adverse effect on your, you know, on your moss too. So bird seed feeders and moss just don't go together. Oh, I'm sad. Well, <laughs> being that we've enjoyed it this year so much, but I don't want to lose my moss, so now I have food for thought. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. And also, if you want to kind of revive your moss a little bit, get some yogurt, unimproved yogurt, that really harsh, bitter-tasting stuff, and just mix it up with buttermilk and just pour it on your moss after you move your bird feeder and then see if you can revive some, your moss that way. Buttermilk, I mean yogurt and buttermilk. Yes. And oh, that, <clears throat> that sounds exciting. <laughs> okay. And it might even taste good if you drank it. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> sure. And the reason why I'm saying that, too, is I used to you know, just get sort of like small patches of moss that I'd find different places. And on old you know, red brick, I would just put the moss on that, but then I would mix either buttermilk and or yogurt onto that, you know, onto the brick, and then I would get a brick covered with moss. I just did that for, you know, boredom, I guess. I don't know why I did it. But I like moss myself. So thanks, and now let's go to St. Charles, and that's where Bob lives. Hi, Bob. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. I wanted to ask you a question. I have uh, several uh, evergreens uh, that are landscape-type evergreens. They're shaped. They come to a point at the top, and they have a, a relatively short needle on them that might be like a half inch long. And they're, it's very the, the needles are very fine, but they're very thick. And I don't know the name of the of the evergreen, but uh, in this uh, the winter that we're in right now, I've noticed that there's a, a browning on one side of uh, the of the trees on on the two. I have one on each side of my front porch, and the it, it looks like they're they're burnt. Uh, perhaps from from the freeze that we had when it was very cold, and I've noticed also the same thing with some of my my neighbors' evergreens. And I wanted to find out if that's something that the uh, that the tree will revive from, or will that wind up to be a dead type of area on the evergreen once things uh, start coming back in the spring. Basically, to me, it sounds like you have Alberta spruce. 
I don't know if that's uh, really yeah. what you have. You know what? You're right. You're right. That is. I, uh, and the, he, the landscaper told me once upon a time, but you're right. That's, <laughs> that's what it is. But, you know, and I mean, what this is is a, actually sort of a mutation on Alberta spruce, which grows in Alberta, Canada, that's, you know, a more or less a stunted plant. The real Alberta spruce gets huge, but they found some branches, and they took these branches, made cuttings from it, and that's how this Alberta spruce exploded across basically the country for the most part. But, yeah, it sounds, especially if the browning on each side of the Alberta spruce is, you know, let's say on the left side or the right side, then that certainly indicates that it's a winter-type, windburn-type circumstance. But if it's on the back side that's next to your house, now that can be just from the fact that there's not enough light. You know, if these are not if these are not well away from the building or anything else, there's not enough light there, so the tree's just shutting down these areas because it's yeah, not it's, helping the overall health. It's far enough from the house that there's it's not on the house side. It's it's on the on the left hand side of both trees. Okay, faces out down into the open. So this is probably, you know, a, a circumstance they were too, you know, it was dry and consequently they are winter burned. And the unfortunate thing is with a lot of the conifers, depending upon the individual circumstance, but for the most part, once the needles turn brown, those needles are going to drop and that plant generally does not have, let's say, enough energy or whatever to be able to produce new needles in those spots. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's going to be those spots that are brown you know, just watch them closely, but the needles are ultimately going to drop, and don't expect any new needles to show up in those areas. Okay, so I'll have to rely on new growth. Through- yeah, and I, like I said, I don't. The other growth is going to be very slow. They don't, you know, ex, you know, accelerate growth very yeah. fast. So these are always, ultimately, these are just going to be areas where you just have twigs coming out. Uh, okay. With no needles. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for the help. Appreciate sure. it. Well, greatly, and thank you. you I'm grateful that you gave a call. So if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go now to Waterloo, Illinois. Marcella, how are you? I'm fine today. Uh, Two questions. I got the orchid already for uh, Valentine's Day, and it says on there three ice cubes. my question is, how big are the ice cubes? Because it's a big plant. And also, there's a, do you put any fertilizer on those? Where do they orchids get their food? Because uh, in the past, I've you know had one where you said dump out the water for 30 seconds and, and, and stuff like that. Right. So uh, do they uh, get... Uh, Fertilizer from the bark, or how, where does the fertilizer come from? Basically, they they don't get fertilizer from the bark, so this is one that doesn't grow in the soil. This is ones that grow in bark. So in their native habitat, they grow on the sides of trees and, you know, a tree that has fallen over. So they, you know, they kind of get the new, they do get a little bit of the nutrients from there, but they get it from, let's say, leaf debris and other things that fall near that, you know, more or less biodegrade. But you can go to your favorite garden center and get an orchid food and fuse that to fertilize and just fertilize during the active growth time or when it's in flower, because you definitely want to do that. Yeah, well, I you do by, like, a regular uh, fertilizer, very weak, and, you know, when I dump in the water. In right. The so, so it's orchid food, though. It's an orchid fertilizer. Yeah. 
Okay, so I mean, you're doing everything just right. The amount of water is all. They, all you want to do is make it so the bark is just has high humidity. So for them to say three ice cubes, if you want to, just put three ice cubes and you know see how much that's going to be in a measuring cup. And then from then on, you don't have to mess around with ice cubes. You can just put that amount of water onto them. Because I just never did like the idea of putting something frozen on a plant that's from a tropical part of the world. It doesn't, obviously it doesn't hurt because I hear this advice so often to put ice cubes on them. But all you need to do is just, you know, get some water and just, I like, you know, t water that's more or less room temperature and just pour it, let it run through the drainage holes in the bottom if they do have drainage holes. And then that's all you need to do. Just kind of do it somewhat routinely. Yeah, well, they're always in a pot where you have to lift up the pot in order to get the draining out. Right, exactly. And uh, in the past, uh, one of them had uh, Spanish moss on to keep the moisture in. Does that help? Sure, it does. And it also helps from an aesthetic standpoint. Some people don't like looking at little pieces of bark. <laughs> okay. And uh, Ash Wednesday's coming, and it's still got some poinsettias that are really uh, lovely yet. Uh, can I leave some of them that let them grow and, uh, you know, just do their own thing until next fall? Or do I cut it off like they recommend? For And is it just one uh, leaf nodule uh, so that they shoot out or on each stem or what? Just grow them like you would a normal house plant. So you don't have to do anything. My mother had a, you know, a poinsettia for years and years and years, and she wasn't somebody that could grow plants very well. So she had it in the south-facing window that didn't have a whole lot of sunlight coming in, but it had a lot of filter light, and she just, you know, she basically waited until, you know, sometime around, you know, Halloween, and that's when she cut the, you know, cut it back a little bit, and then that's when the new bracts started coming. Halloween? Yeah. That, and then they going to grow out? Yes, they'll grow out, but they're not necessarily going to grow out for Christmas time. They may grow out, let's say, this time of year or sometime in March. That's she just liked it better at that time. Uh, well, that's what I finally got one that I didn't uh, trim off this last year, and uh, you know, just let it grow, and it's finally gotten their bracts out. But I didn't cut it at all. Right. So I mean, so she didn't. Sometimes it's just sometimes she did. And it was just, for the most part, she just, whenever the, the bracts came out with a nice color, that was great. She didn't really care. She wasn't trying to be, you know, some kind of greenhouse production circumstance and have them, you know, just kind of routinely come out because we've, you know, you cut them back at this particular time. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah, and I mean, you can cut them back as much as you, you know, as, as little or as much as you want. And just leave the stem at least six inches long. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and we're headed back to Chesterfield. And that's where Mike lives. Hi, Mike. Uh, Mike, how are you doing? Very good. Hey, I was out in the patio relaying bricks by 18 half hours yesterday. I was amazed. Two different times, there was a honeybee that landed on my uh, my cup. I mean, I, I was, you know, a honeybee this time of year, and the thing was actually moving. I, 
guy disturb him from the ground? Or, that was, isn't that unusual this time of year? Well, it is in a way, but I mean, they're, you know, usually that's not going to be what's going to happen. But yeah, it is unusual. But when you get a warm day like that, I was sitting in the car while Tracy went in to do something. And I was surprised there was like five or six gnats on the windshield of the car. And so no. any kind of warm weather, they come out because they are desperate to do anything at all. And exercise, probably not exercise, but they're out just, you know, surveying and trying to find any kind of food source. And if they were on your cup, they were looking for the sweetness of whatever you were drinking. Right, right. But it was going to die, wasn't it, after it got cold now? Not necessarily. They can hibernate and hide, you know, in various locations and stuff like that. But uh, you don't know. It would, you know, I mean, they couldn't have been laid and then, let's say, get to mature size enough this quick that they could happen, you know, that could happen in basically one day because it hasn't really been all that warm. But, yeah, when it gets above 50, the insects really start coming out. Great, a survivor of the county collapse disorder, so maybe it's a new hoardier one. Huh? Right, exactly, <laughs> some new hybrid. <laughs> Great, thank you. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah, it was kind of amazing to see the gnats, and I, you know, I didn't see any bees, but uh, you know, obviously this gentleman did, and coming right for the food source. They know, they're smart. They go, and it may not have been a honeybee. I'm sure that Mike knows what a honeybee looks like, but it's, you know, there's all kinds of things that are flying around. David lives in Oakville. David, how are you today? Hi, I'm doing fine, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'd like to uh, ask you about hummingbirds. I find them uh, fascinating. I was wondering when's the best time to put out the water feeder and what's the water-to-sugar ratio? Uh, Basically, I would just, you know, I don't know the exactly water-to-sugar ratio, but you could probably get a hummingbird mix. And if you can't Uh get it at your favorite garden center, I would just go online and try to find it that way. Okay. And that way you're getting exactly, you know, what combination you need. And it's going to have the different, maybe a different type of sugar rather than just regular sugar from, let's say, that we normally put on things. Maybe it's a stevia or something. Who knows what it is? But I would do it that way. And they migrate, so you want to get them, they go two different directions. So they go north and then they come south. But sometimes some of them will hang around in the area where, you know, where we live. But I would probably start putting it out sometime when the weather starts getting warm. Uh, my guess is around the fr- late April, 1st of May. Okay. Yeah, do they send out, like, scouts to find out <laughs> where they can <laughs> have uh, food for their friends? Yeah, and then they get their smartphone out and they say, hey, we found a great place over here. No, they don't. It's just really, really arbitrary. I mean, Uh they just kind of fly by, and the way their eyes work, they see certain colors, and it's going to be the red that's attracted to them most. But I I grow, let's say, hyacinth bean vines, which have purple flowers. Uh But they'll come scouting by and just take a look. But they, you know, will just keep moving on until they find, you know, not necessarily something red. But uh, that's usually what they're going to go for. Right. They, uh, they're they attracted. I have a red hibiscus, and then I have some cannas that had red flowers. And exactly. They gravitate to them. Right. So then, you know, if, that's, if you've had good luck with that, then start with, you know, one or two, let's say, liquid hummingbird feeders and hang them in somewhat close proximity. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's what I did. Okay, well, <laughs> this is great. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Sure. And, yeah, I mean, just... You can, you know, let's say you could make it, let's say, 10 parts water, one part, you know, sugar. But why not just get the real stuff? So thanks, David. And now let's go to James, and he's on his way to work. Hi, James. 
Good morning, Mike. Uh, first off, thank you for our show. I think you should call it our show. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I wanted to make two quick comments. Uh, one, you were talking to someone about orchids and ice cubes. Right. Uh, if those ice cubes are put on the air roots, it can damage the plant. Yeah, that's what uh, I think. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I, I've, I've dealt with orchids in the past, and the best thing to really do is to put uh, the pot with holes in it in a saucer and water it from the saucer. Right. The humidity yeah. comes up that way, and I don't know where this whole ice cube thing ever came from, but I never, you know, working in the botanical garden and everything else, I never saw, the let's say, the orchidists there put ice cubes on anything. Yeah, I, I, I'm making a quick comment. I think it's a laziness in our society. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, the other comment I wanted to make is uh, people trying to grow tropical trees. Um, unless you've got a three-story, four-story atrium in your house, um, you're not going to be able to do that. Plus, if you do, you've got foundation problems when they get big enough that the roots start uh, growing. Um, so uh, I think when, when somebody calls in trying to dry, uh, grow an avocado or uh, you know a eucalyptus tree, avocado trees grow 30, 40 feet. Sure. Eucalyptus trees can be 100 feet tall. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, I, I, I think you might be more helpful just telling him to forget it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to be too blunt, but I, well, I having, understand. You're, yeah. you're a very polite man, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I think sometimes uh, being blunt is the best way to handle it. Just tell him, you know what, it's a tropical tree. It's right. a tree, it's not a bush, it's not a plant. So anyway, thank you uh, so much, and I enjoy your show. Well, thanks, and thanks for your you know insight, too. But yeah, that's why I tell people you can, you know, you can get a citrus tree, you know, which gives large and all you know if you grow them in a pot then you can kind of bonsai them and keep them small but you're it's sure. still not going to be you know productive for you from a fruit standpoint right but uh, thank you for our show well thank you <laughs> and let's see uh mark and st charles could you do it kind of quick yeah sure can i've got zoysia and it seems like uh, patches of it kind of turn orange when it's when it's moist it looks orange and it dies I would say, you know, you got potentially a fungus problem there. So if it's turning orange, what you need to do is the area which is not that is orange and the area that's transitioning which is not orange, get about a six or eight inch square and take it to your favorite garden center and have them take a look at it to see if you've got a fungus problem there. Also, do you have a female dog? Uh, nope. Okay, no female dog. So to me, it sounds like you've got you know a, a type of fungus that you need to get a fungicide on it. And fungicides are always best when applied before the problem starts showing up, whether it's on bluegrass, whether it's on fescue, whether it's on the foliage of lilacs, powdery mildew, or on your zoysia. So you anticipate this is going to happen. So get the treatments down and stop it before it starts going. Because if you put a fungicide down after it's visible, then what you're doing is you're just kind of slowing the migration. But if you cut your grass and everything else, you can be throwing these spores all over the place. So you you know you you've got this problem. You have to wait to green up before you put the fungicide on it. Just wait till it very start. You know, just starts greening up. So yes, you have. Don't do it when it's totally dormant because it's not going to do. It won't help that much. So as soon as it starts greening up, you're going to cut it fairly short. You know, like an inch or two inches, and then you apply apply the fungicide, and then. Go to your favorite garden center, see which fungicide they'd recommend for your zoysia, and then you're probably going to have to do a couple more applications. Cool. Well, I sure appreciate it. Thank you so much. Certainly. Well, thank you. And thanks to everybody for calling in this first hour. You know, we do have a second hour of the Garden Hotline. Surprising. 
I didn't realize that. But uh, Mark and, or Craig and Dardine Prairie and Nancy and Melville will get to you as soon as the news is over. Megan just came in. She's being very pushy. She wants to do the news right now. So you're a little bit early. So uh, outside, it is weather is not all that frightful, but I'm glad, you know, when you listen to the weather, they're always predicting. Tracy was watching it hour to hour. Oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. I'm just glad we haven't had a major ice storm, though we did have that cool spell, which did, like, to the gentleman's Alberta spruces, to a lot of the broadleaf evergreens and everything else, and we don't know what the weather's going to do for the rest of winter. So just take it easy and watch your plant material. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. The Voice of St. Louis, News Radio 1120, KMOX, KMOX HD, St. Louis, 102.5 KEZK, HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.